You're listening to the latest dose of Bipolar Recorder. This podcast may cause dizziness and blurred vision. Enjoy. Welcome back to Bipolar Recorder. My name is Hunter Keegan. Thank you for joining me today. This installment features a conversation with a 26-year-old man named Andrew. At the time of the recording, Andrew was fresh out of a month-long stay at a drug treatment center and living in Austin, Texas. Just before a storm touched down in Austin, I managed to get a hold of Andrew over Zoom, and we spent about an hour chatting about bipolar type 2, the primary diagnosis that he lives with, as well as addiction recovery. In this episode, we talk a lot about the dark side of marijuana use. In fact, marijuana is one of the main addictions that Andrew has battled with over the years. This episode also sheds interesting light on bipolar type 2. A quick heads up, we also talk a bit about LSD use and positive outcomes from it. Remember that in this show, we only speak from our own experiences and do not encourage the audience to take substances just because they've worked well from our own perspective. Always exercise caution and good judgment. Let's dive into it. Welcome back to Bipolar Recorder. My name is Hunter Keegan, and today I am joined by Andrew, a man living in Austin, Texas. And Andrew, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, just tell the audience a little bit about your main diagnosis or diagnoses and you know, kind of just a little bit about what's going on with you. Yeah, absolutely. My name is Andrew Edwards. I'm 26 years old. I live in Austin, Texas, soon to be Denver, Colorado. And uh, my diagnosis is uh, bipolar type 2 with ADHD and uh, generalized anxiety disorder as well. Cool. So with type 2, um, you would experience hypomanic periods, but not full manic periods. Um, what, uh, what age were you diagnosed at? I was diagnosed at 18, actually, and they wanted to diagnose me sooner than that. But the legal age in California where I was born and raised uh, is... 18. Okay. And how old are you now? I'm 26. 26. Okay. Right on. I'm 28. So we're pretty close in age. Um, That's always, always cool. Um, So what led up to that initial diagnosis? What, um, what made you think that you probably should have been diagnosed sooner than that? Would you, would you mind sharing a little about that? Yeah. So I, That was back in high school era. So I mean, around 15 and 16 was when some symptoms started coming up as far as like uh, major depressive episodes. And they had me, I was already diagnosed with ADHD at the time uh, since I was 13. And uh, so I was taking Adderall, I still take it. Um, But I kind of like I was just going through some really severe depressive episodes and they initially were diagnosing me with depression and then my response to the antidepressants was negative obviously 
Mm-hmm. And I then was taken to a bipolar specialist where she diagnosed me with uh, uh, bipolar disorder type two when I was 18. Okay. And, um, you know, there was a lot of drug use involved, mainly just cannabis, a um, lot of high school cannabis use, which, you know, that's not the best time to be using cannabis. You should be focused on other things, but we each got to do what we got to do to get through. And I think that it was more of a necessary thing to uh, survive at that point in time. So you're uh, self-medicating with marijuana at that point before? Um, at before... that point, yes, I was. Okay. Um, and then the antidepressants didn't help you. Was that because it was triggering hypomania or was it causing other yeah. side effects or what? Uh, yeah, it triggered hypomania. Um, I guess uh, I would just... I don't know, it's hard to remember back that far, but I definitely was triggering in hypomania and it was, uh, the doctors noticed like, okay, well, you know, his, these are typically not the responses to an antidepressant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's getting, it'd be hypomania and then a worse depression than I started with basically. And it yeah. was just, it was just over and over again, digging myself a hole basically. So, yeah. Yeah, it causes like that, like energetic peak, and then you you just crash out. You know, it's like the floor kind of drops out from beneath mm-hmm. you a little bit. Absolutely. Um, well, eighteen years old. Um, you know, that's uh, I don't want to say like an early age to get diagnosed, but um, I'm glad that you recognized and that your doctors recognized that there was something going on. I wasn't diagnosed until um. I think I was uh, 21, almost 22 at the time. And the reason I was diagnosed is because stuff had just completely spiraled out already. Did you feel like you were in a situation where you were spiraling out or do you think they kind of caught it when it needed to be caught? Um, No, I I definitely spiraled out. Um, I, it was unfortunate to be diagnosed when I was because I was getting, it was kind of getting a handle on, um, some issues that I was already facing and it kind of made, it made sense. Like it, it was, it was, it, I didn't really accept it at first. I was, I, cause that's an illness you have to deal with for the rest of your life. You're telling an 18 year old that, you know, he's got to deal with this for the rest of his life. And uh, so I, I didn't really accept it at first. Um, and I went into kind of, I actually went on a Europe trip gra- after graduating high school and I went into full on mania. Um, well hypomania essentially just like i had a hypomanic episode and that lasted uh the entire entirety of the of the trip and i I caused my teachers and chaperones hell during that trip and they they didn't know what they were dealing with they didn't know i had just been diagnosed with bipolar disorder i was on you know mood stabilizers and whatnot but they did not work and i kind of went a little crazy on that trip a little bit what kind of uh, symptoms were you experiencing during that trip? Oh boy, just uh, I felt invincible entirely, and I felt I my drug use. Well, I mean, we're pretty much just drinking there, which alcohol is. I mean, it makes me the worst person. Yeah, and I, um, I was drinking a bunch. Um, we found some hash. I bought some hash in Florence, Italy, off some dude wearing a backpack in front of his chest and mm-hmm. weed shirt on i was like that guy's got weed yeah so i bought some hash from him and then uh we were just being dumb 
doing dumb 18 year old shit in a foreign country. And, uh, it was, it was, uh, an experience of a lifetime. I, I'm glad that I got to go, but I'm also very glad that nothing negative happened. Like that would have ended me in a foreign jail or dead or, you know, I'd like to die in America. Yeah. And I don't want to die in some European country. Um, yeah. so I'm pretty fortunate in that sense. Yeah. Um, what was like the dumbest shit that y'all pulled? Okay, if you, so if one you had to narrow we, it down, I mean. Oh yeah. There was uh one of the first nights that we were in Rome. Um, uh, I was with four buddies, I won't name them, but uh they I was with four buddies and we were we had I've uh, been drinking at one bar. Um, it, it was it was the night of the Italy England match in the World Cup um, when the World Cup was in Brazil, I believe, um, 2014. So um, we we're in Rome, and we went to one bar and failed to tell our chaperone that we were going to a different bar, which we needed to do because they had left the area, and we had stayed back because I was having. I had I had some chafing in my legs and was not doing so well walking. Okay. So I was like, I don't want to walk like a bunch of miles to go to this other bar or other bar across the street. So they let us go to the bar across the street, but we failed to tell them that we were going to a different bar. And at this different bar, um, we, I found a girl that spoke English and I was kind of flirting with her. And then she told me that she could, after you know, some conversation, she said that she could sell us some some hash and mm -hmm. so we followed them for after the game's over we followed them for probably so they kept on saying like oh it's like two blocks away and we go two blocks like, how much further two more blocks uh -huh. how much further two more blocks and so like yeah. we're kind of just like this is a little sketchy right. and finally finally i like stopped and was like okay like seriously how much farther and like two more blocks and then we i saw and my, my buddy points out there's someone coming and there were yeah. three guys walking up that were a lot bigger than us mm -hmm. and they were walking and we just turned around and booked it we're like we ran in the streets of rome probably no idea where we were drunk as hell just running through the streets of rome yelling our the name of our hotel trying to get people to point us in the right direction Holy and finally shit. somehow we made it somehow we made it there and um i don't know if the people were chasing us or not i didn't look back i just ran yeah. and uh got there and our chaperone guy, the main chaperone, was standing out front of the um, hotel waiting for us, essentially. And we got there and he, we had to have one of my friend's dads, like, vouch for all of us and say that, like, you know, if, if cause we were going to get kicked out of the trip because we were all hammered. I, I blew like a .18 on the, on the thing, which was pretty high for me back then. And I yeah. just... I I was wasted and so was everybody else but they were trying to kick us out but our, my friend's dad kind of uh, saved us there and um, we ended up being able to stay on the trip but they had to chaperone us everywhere we went oh, no. for the rest of the time and uh, that kind of put a damper on some things but it was still fun and that, that was definitely that's just coming to the top of mind that was the one of the craziest things that happened there we were being chased by big men with bad intentions yeah man yeah. i mean alcohol seems to lead to those types of situations right um 
that is uh yeah especially in a foreign country i i I wonder how many times those chicks had pulled that kind of stunt on someone before oh my god i know it makes you think and it worked and yeah yeah. of course it did you were like fuck yeah yeah hash women cool but um exactly (laughs) (laughs) um yeah well that that's super scary um i've uh the most exotic location I've been to was Nicaragua. And you definitely, I wasn't really nice. drinking at the time. Um, but, you know, I was like 16 years old in this totally foreign country. I didn't speak the language. And there were some really beautiful towns that I visited and stuff. Um, But yeah, it's like, you got to just kind of have some situational awareness. And when booze and drugs makes it into the mix, it's like you, you lose that a lot. I've gotten into some pretty dangerous situations myself um, for, for sure. Once I, once I did get into the, uh, the alcoholism zone, uh, as I sometimes call it. Um, but, uh, so speaking of which, um, do you want to talk a little bit about what's going on with like your sobriety and your recovery and all of that good stuff right now? Yeah, absolutely. So currently I am sober planning remaining that way for as long as I possibly can. Um, I just got out of treatment about a week ago. Um, I was in a treatment center in Tucson, Arizona. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was a good, it was a good month. Um, got, did a lot of work on myself. There's some trauma that I had to deal with that, okay. uh, um, I'll get to it. I guess I'll get to that later, but, uh, it trauma I had to deal with, uh, the mental health stuff, obviously I would say I've been to treatment four times now, and this is the first time where I didn't go, uh, didn't go strictly for drugs. It was more just like an overall uh, overall maintenance needed. And, um, so I ended up, I was going to go there and I'd quit hard drugs probably six months ago or six months before, I guess about seven months now. Um, and I'd quit alcohol for the most part, uh, two months before that, but I was still smoking cannabis regularly. And I, I went into treatment with full intentions of coming back out and smoking cannabis again. Yeah. But I went in and at three days there, I realized that my anxiety was gone, at least for the most part. My, my constant innate anxiety was gone. And I realized that, well, the only thing I've changed is that I stopped smoking pot. Mm-hmm. And that was enough for me to be like, well, I don't want, I don't want any part of something that's going to make me feel like that. I feel like I've been told many times by many different people that, you know, pot just kind of flipped on them at one point. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was this great drug that was helping them in a, in a bunch of ways. And all, all of a sudden they're having panic attacks and, you know, huge anxiety. And, and I feel like that might've happened to me as well. I, I never thought it would, um, but it did. And I, I honestly feel a lot better without cannabis. There are times I miss it for sure, yeah. but I just absolutely feel so much better. And I mean, they gave me a bunch of meds just in case I have, an anxiety attack or something like that and those those work you know just as good if not better than when pot was at its prime for me mm-hmm. um but yeah um, um so right now about, about 34 days or something like that congratulations man 34 days is um, 
is pretty awesome. I, uh, yeah, so like I, uh, just a little bit about myself, you know, um, I, uh, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I stopped drinking a, a bit over six years ago and, um, I, I do use marijuana these days, but like for the first three and a half years of my recovery, I stayed away from like all substances. I did like the stone sober thing. Um, nice. and yeah, it like it, it worked out well. Um, I have a better relationship with marijuana now than I did when I was like 18. Like it, it was almost like the reverse happened. I don't know exactly why. Maybe it's because of the psychiatric medication I take now that it just generally helps with anxiety. But when I was younger, it was like anytime I smoked weed, I would get so paranoid, but I loved the body right. high so much that it just mm-hmm. kept me kind of coming back to it um these days it doesn't make me super paranoid um were you uh did you ever use like lsd or shrooms or other hallucinogens absolutely um yeah me too i am actually still uh, a big proponent of lsd use yeah um i think that it's important to use that at least once a year um just for my own self it's grounding it's kind of a refresher hit the reset button a little bit, kind of, uh, check out where you're at. And I, and I'm not a micro doser. I'd like to, yeah. I'd like to take a lot and, yeah. um, shrooms. I, I couldn't even begin to tell you how many times I've taken shrooms, but they've, they too kind of hit a different point for me where I just kind of said to myself, like, I'm done with this one. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, uh, I, I love them. They're great. And if, if, if they, use, if they're great for medicine for people, then they're great for medicine for people or just, or just to have some fun. But, um, they are, I don't think for me anymore. Yeah. I, uh, I haven't taken LSD in like, um, eight years, I guess. Um, but I used to do a lot yeah. of it. Um, also, also used to do a lot of, uh, quote unquote research chemicals, um, which in yeah. hindsight was, you know, like 2CE and have you heard of like that shit? You know, I have only taken that one time, not 2CE. I took uh, 25N bomb I, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, I did not enjoy that. No. Um, I didn't have a good time. It wasn't, it wasn't a fun high. I was freaked out. And, um, if it weren't for the fact that at the time I took it, I had a bunch of people over. I, and if I were alone, which I actually prefer, I, at this age, I take LSD alone. Typically, Mm -hmm. um, there is one exception to that. And that is with a significant other, or Mm -hmm. uh, I do have a friend up in Montana that is my uh, kind of go-to trip buddy. We've, we've gone through some crazy trips together and yeah. he's, you know, he's one of my brothers on that occasion. So um, yeah, uh, I, 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 I would have been out of my mind if I'd taken that bomb alone. Oh, dude. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I made that mistake more than once. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know, man, like there's, um, like 25I, 2CE, et cetera, was uh, pretty prevalent when I was in college. Um, I went to school mm-hmm. at Penn State and, oh, really? um, I, I did, I had a, a friend of mine there who I met my sophomore year 
And um, he actually knew where to get like legit LSD and like the difference between like legit acid and like that research chemical shit is like night and day like yeah straight up like i fucking like i haven't done it in a really long time for a number of different reasons but like i still think back on those lsd experiences as being like extremely spiritual very grounding like beautiful experiences it's it's a beautiful drug it really is um i i have had some i've never had a negative experience on lsd some people will you know, change their, or I will say otherwise for themselves, but I personally have never had a negative experience on LSD. Yeah. I have on shrooms. Yeah. Um, but not on acid. And I, um, I'm thankful for that. I, I, the last time I took acid was probably January and I, you know, I took like a tab and I didn't, I had a good time a little bit kind of thing. I had a lot of anxiety already built up in me at that point. But I mean, the time before that, I took it at a Dead and Company show, and that was a blast. Cool. That was that was fun. Um, ended up at some bar in Houston that was like a Grateful Dead themed bar, and okay. that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting chemical. Um, it provides so much, but it can also it can also really damage you. Uh, yeah man i mean it's it's possible to overdo it with anything and Mm -hmm. especially something that's like that intense of an experience like it's not the type of thing you want to be doing like every weekend or like you know multiple times a week or whatever yeah i used to live when i was 21 i lived in san francisco and um i had i had access to it whenever i needed it so Mm -hmm. i was taking i was actually alternating every weekend shrooms and acid at that point in time okay and um i ended up taking a trip with my buddy up in montana um which he was down and he lived in san francisco at the time as well um we took god knows how much acid i usually i usually estimated about a thousand micrograms okay and and it just it spun me through a loop and I saw essentially the whole time I couldn't open my eyes. And the only thing I could see was the yin yang symbol mm. just swirling around in circles. And so I, yeah. and that was, that was really intense. And then I did have a vision, like a, a clear, pretty a really clear vision of like a future for myself, which was that I was going to die as a homeless person. Oh man. And so I was like, fuck that. And I checked into rehab like the next week. Wow. Uh, for the first time and that's that's actually how i got to texas where i'm in at now I, I moved from san francisco to austin texas where i picked austin a lot of people are like you went to austin to get sober yes yeah. not the normal thing i guess but <laughs> i had my sister lived in waco at the time going to baylor university mm-hmm. and um she uh, it was just like where where do i have someone close by uh, i wasn't gonna go to waco but austin seemed cool so i I just uh, I, I jumped on that boat about a year before everybody started moving here, mm-hmm. and um, but yeah, that's that's how I got to Texas. Last time I was in Austin was in 2015, and um, mm-hmm. you know it was like it's all right. I've been there uh, twice, and um, yeah, I've heard it's gone downhill over the years. Yeah. Is is that yeah. what you've seen? A lot of crime now. The police are defunded for the most part, so it's not like they do 
do anything. Um, it's not like they would do anything anyways. Um, they, it's, it's, it's a fun city, but because of that, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of crime and there's a lot of, there's, there's a good amount of violence. Um, oh. I, uh, myself was again into some more stuff. I was, um, I was in a fight about two and a half years ago, um, over bad acid, um, but and I got I actually got stabbed in that fight, oh, uh, and that, that is that's another reason that the trauma um, stuff that I went through to go to treatment. Uh, I was dealing with some legit PTSD, yeah, nightmares, flashbacks, you know, things like that. And um, I was covering. I, I, I tell I told my dad this uh, pretty recently of, of kind of like why I was why I was using. And I mean, if in my childhood it was using you know, partially because it was like a cool thing to do. And partially because it was like, it's trying to save my own life. I was feeling terrible. I heard that cannabis could help you. And then that was just my first, first start on drugs. And I went pretty downhill from there, but my first couple runs up until I was uh, 23, when I got stabbed, um, I was just using for fun. And then after that, it became using to cover up pain and to, um, mask this intense psych you know psychological disability i just inherited from this in incident mm -hmm. and i um that is something that keeps me in mind of like staying sober uh, is that i feel like i'll i feel like i'll be able to do it this time for as long as needed because it's i realized why i was using mm -hmm. and it was to cover up the intense pain that i was in what was your uh uh, primary drug of choice was it weed or was it uh... i mean i would say it's cannabis but am i the problem that i had i mean i did every drug that you know you can really do except for mm. pcp i don't know i never tried pcp yeah, but um, I, yeah, I don't really have any intentions to um <laughs> neither do i these uh, guys yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah i i did I, I was telling somebody the other day i I quit heroin on my own. I quit methamphetamine on my own. I quit ketamine on my own. I quit crack. I quit crack on my own. But it took me to go to treatment to quit cannabis. Yeah, isn't that wild? Um, what made yeah. cannabis so much harder to kick? Um, I think it's because of the way that I viewed it. I viewed it almost as a friend. You know, mm -hmm. like it's like it was always by my side. It was always, you know it helped me out of some dark situations. And so I kind of thought of it as like a, like a fix all. And once I realized that it was what was, it was at least partially what was causing me pain and anxiety and distress that that was when I finally was able to kick it. And I, I needed to be, I, I don't know if that would have, I mean, every time that I tried to quit cannabis or cut back on it before that, it had just failed miserably, you know, where I, like, right, I'm not going to smoke until after school or after work today. Mm -hmm. And then it'd be like in the middle of class or in the middle of my job. And it'd be like, I need to go get stoned. Yeah. And so I'd go, I'd go get stoned. And the other side of that is that, you know, once you have such a high tolerance to things or to that in particular, it doesn't like, it doesn't, it's not the same anymore. Like when I, if I were to smoke yeah. weed right now, I would have, I'd, I'd either have a fantastic time or a panic attack. I'm not sure. But if I, back then it was basically just like maintaining a high rather than getting high. Even if I woke up in the morning and smoked, it was just, it, I was still high from the night before half the time. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was just maintaining to get 
that level of okay. And, you know, the, the constant need of it, my, you know, needing it when I went places, um, uh, if I didn't have it in a place I was traveling to, I'd bring it, which is, you know, unless you're traveling to a legal state, which I said is, is growing more and more now, you know, you, you're in some deep shit. I mean, I live in Texas, like right now anyway, so it's, it's totally illegal here. And I'm driving around with ounces of wax and ounces of flour in my car. And it's just like, if I get pulled over, I'm fucked. Mm -hmm. And, and there was a lot of, a lot of risky behavior due to that. And, you know, that's one of the signs of addiction that they point out is, you know, are you, are you using risky behavior in order to keep your habit flowing? And I, I was absolutely. I mean, I, I was risking going to jail constantly. Yeah. Um, just, just for cannabis. And that doesn't even include all the other drugs that I was using. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, um, it was, it was an addiction. Maybe not. It, I didn't have physical withdrawals from it when I quit, but yeah. I was psychologically dependent on it to, yeah. in order to maintain my high. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, so do you have any, uh, trepidation about moving out to Colorado no uh, my I, my entire family and my girl lives up there um, nice. so it's like it's just kind of at this point more like um kind of, it's almost like going home it, I mean it's not going back home home is northern California but um it's it's kind of it, it's kind of coming home to a home that I didn't know I had Cause it's like my whole, literally my entire family lives there. Okay. Like everybody, my cousins, my aunts, uncles, like grandparents, everybody. And it's, it's, it's just me. And my sister lives in DC, but it, it, okay. it's just me out there. And so I, I feel like I kind of am coming home to be closer to everybody one. And then also, um, just, I mean, I, I, I get weed anywhere. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if yeah, I'm getting yeah. it in the store. I can get, I can get it shipped. I, I mean, I was getting it shipped out here from a buddy <sighs> and just like, it, you know, it was, you know, that, that uh, the only difference is that I, if I did decide to relapse, I'd be able to do it legally. Yeah. And, you know, it's, that's probably better. I, sh- I mean, it, it really, it, in the end, it's, it's all up to me and what I want to do. And, if I want to stay sober, then I've got to stay sober regardless. I mean, I could go into a gas station right now and there's beer everywhere. Exactly. And my, and my, I definitely have an addiction to alcohol as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just consider myself the people in treatment. If you've ever been would ask, you know, what's your DSC drug of choice. Mm-hmm. Mine is why pick one? Why yeah. do I have to pick one? Yeah. And like, yeah. So it's, uh, it's just something that I'm going to have to deal with uh, Colorado or Texas. I can get high anywhere. That's a, that's a really good point to have. It's like where there's a will, there's a way, especially Absolutely. in the minds of an, an addict. It's like, you're gonna, yeah. you're gonna figure it out eventually where, where to get it. Um, have you always had a lot of family support? It sounds like you're, you're looking yeah. forward to being. I've been pretty lucky. I've been pretty lucky with my family. They um, want me alive. So that's a start. You know, uh, they've, they definitely uh, love me and I'm very thankful for that. I love them as well. And it's, it has been tough the past 10 years or so on them. 
um, having been in active addiction for, you know, nine of those years. And probably the year that I wasn't in active addiction was, is, is cut up in those 10 years. And, uh, so it, it's been tough on them. Uh, I've had, I've been kicked out of family events. I've been, oh, you know, like asked to leave and go home and, you know, it's, it, that was tough. Yeah. But now it feels good to be back as, as me. And, you know, they all, they're all telling me things like that. One of the things that they said that keeps me kind of, that I try to think of when I do get down is that they, they noticed that my eyes were different after I got sober and they could see the color of my eyes again. Hmm. And I have really bright blue eyes. So they, they wanted to see my eyes, you know, oh. and it, when I was stoned and I was high, they, they apparently, I didn't notice it, but they couldn't see my eyes. And so they're all, they, they, they're always trying to tell me things that keep me going. And, uh, yeah. That's awesome, man. I, I'm glad to hear that. That's, um, that's powerful to have that family Absolutely. support. Do you mind if I ask you, how did you kind of rekindle that relationship and that trust with your family after nine years of active addiction? Cause that's not something that happens overnight. Yeah. Right? No. And it's still going ongoing. Um, yeah. it's still a process. It's, it's not like, yeah, it, it's, it's not, it's not perfect yet. They still, they still don't really trust me, which that's fine. I can, mm-hmm. I mean, trust is earned and right. I haven't done anything to earn it yet other than go to treatment. And that's yeah. just to start. Yeah. So, you know, I, I have to, uh, I have to get on my horse with that. And I mean, I, I mean, I'm not a big believer in the 12 step program, but yeah, I do believe either. in making amends as part of that. Yeah. Um, there's absolutely that room for that. And I have a lot of amends to make with my family and just to tell them just, I mean, they, I've, I've heard someone say to me when, when I was in a 12 step program that when you're making your amends, you're not supposed to say the words, I'm sorry. And at least until the very end. And like, so the, a lot of it is just acknowledging what you've done to wrong them. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I got to do. I got to, I got to go acknowledge what I did was wrong, whether it be wrong in their eyes or wrong in general, I, it was, it harmed them. And I have to make amends for that. That's very strong of you to be willing to do that. Um, so with this most recent rehab in uh, Tucson, were you do what kind of uh, therapy were they doing there? Were, was it mostly 12 step based there or was there something that made it different this time? Were you doing more talk um, therapy, see, group therapy? It was a lot of group therapy in classes. There's some CBT, DBT type style stuff there, um, okay. mindfulness stuff. Um, but it, it was a lot of, it was the fact that it was different made, was it was only different because they treated, they were trying to treat why you are using instead of the fact that you're using. Whereas every other treatment center I'd been to, it was trying to treat people because they were using, you know, you're a drug addict, so don't use drugs. You know, drugs are your problem, but not, they don't, they weren't taking into account like, oh, you got stabbed in the head in a fight you're using because you're 
a drug addict. That's basically what they're saying. But this this part, this place is saying like you got stabbed in the head in a fight, and it's like that's why you're using, dude. You're trying to cover up pain. Let's try to fix the trauma part. Let's do some. I went through EMDR therapy. Um, oh man, I'm blanking on the name of that one therapy. Uh, there's another. Oh, somatic experiencing therapy. Oh, um, okay. I did. Um, uh, you know all sorts of things and I, it, it was it was trying to treat the cause of the problem instead of the symptom right kind of like yeah. really getting to that root of it um mm-hmm. do you want to do you want to explain what emdr is for the audience uh some people oh, are familiar with that i i don't remember what the acronym stands for um i believe but, um, i it's like rapid eye movement desensitization something Hey, this is just a quick update. After we recorded, I did look it up, and EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing Therapy. It has to do with the rapid eye movement um, that, you know, essentially what they had me do was... um, you know the first co- the first experience with it was you know trying to make make it make sure that I'd be receptive to it, and uh, you know I found that I was decently receptive. Um, it's basically they can do it a few different ways. I hear they can do it with a light bar where you have your, your eyes are supposed to follow the lights, and then another one where you have uh, paddles in your hands that vibrate. I guess mine was just sound based. They had they put me with a um, headphones on that had kind of alternating sound and um, you know it, it that I don't know if I I mean I've, I've had it done one other time and I probably I definitely intend to do it when I get moved into my new state and have a therapist and a whatnot there um, but it uh, it was it was definitely very good for bringing back memories that I thought that I'd never had or that I or at least you know never that I'd suppressed um and uh yeah so i mean i that's probably that's a pretty shitty explanation of it but i um yeah it's it's uh it was helpful is what i can say and i I would recommend it to people who have gone through trauma or just have an issue in their attitude they like to fix because mine was they were trying to work on my distrust for authority figures yeah and uh yeah so i i was uh working on that this may be a really stupid question, but these memories that started to come back as you did the EMDR, were they positive or were, was it like repressed trauma? They were repressed of, memories. Just like general yeah. repressed memories. Okay. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They were general repressed memories. I won't get too far into what they were, but it okay. was um, some, some interesting stuff that came up um that definitely led me to kind of understand more why i have a distrust for authority okay and um you know it uh yeah i mean bottom line is that i I, if if you have some trauma that you're dealing with anybody listening to this that you know emdr is a thing that you can try and it it does it does have its benefits and it, it is helpful at least in my experience yeah I'll definitely put something about that in the episode description so people can get more of a formal understanding of it if they'd like to. Um, But 
Um, I think you're the first person who's come on and talked about EMDR. Uh, so thank you for bringing that up. Mm. Um, I hope you have someone on. I hope you have someone on after me that can explain it better. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a pure, it's a pure podcast. Um, we, we, we're not doctors, we're just talking. So I appreciate your breakdown of that. Um, okay. Made sense to me as a lay person. So um, right on. Right um, on. So, <laughs> um, so like, uh, what kind of, are you taking psychiatric medication currently? I think earlier you said you take some stuff for anxiety. Uh, do you mind talking a yeah. little bit more about that? Yeah. So right now I'm in fresh out of treatment. I'm on quite a bit of medications. I, um, I take the, you know, the, the main two medicines that I, that I take that I consider my two like most important ones. I take Thralar as an antipsychotic six milligrams. And then I take uh, Adderall, 30 milligrams in the morning. And then I have two as needed, uh, two as needed 10 milligram instant action pills that uh, I take as well. Um, and then I am also prescribed um, gabapentin and flexoril, a muscle relaxer for pain. Um, I've had two shoulder surgeries from when I was younger, uh, wrestling and fighting and playing rugby and whatnot. But I, you know, I, I've had some, I have some pretty significant pain in my body. So they gave me a gabapentin for nerve pain and the muscle relaxer to, you know, obviously do that. And then also I am prescribed um, a drug called propanolol. Um, that is, it's a blood pressure medication that does wonders for physical anxiety. Um, it, if, if somebody out there is listening that has the, that is taking Xanax or other benzodiazepines for their anxiety and are finding that they are getting what everybody else gets, which is a dependence on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a very dangerous dependence to have. It's, uh, yep. you don't know, it's the only other withdrawal that you can die from other than alcohol. And it, it's, it, those are truly fucked drugs. I don't like benzodiazepines they have their use i've used the xanax on several occasions to stop panic attacks and anxiety attacks but you know it it is when you're taking that drug every day it becomes a problem and it it, it can be a real problem when you try to quit um so if anyone out there is listening and has this that sentiment but find a tough way to find an alternative propanolol has been that alternative for me yeah, I, I'm glad that that's worked for you. I um I actually do take Klonopin. Um, and okay. but like I I'm not saying that Klonopin I think to, is a different. I think I mean it is a benzo, but it's I believe it's a, not quite as extreme as Xanax, right? Um, I talked to my doctor about it recently, and he said that the benefit of Klonopin compared to Xanax is that Klonopin right. is longer as, lasting and has less of an intense peak to it. Um, that, yeah. 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 So, but so like, I think the people where people get off on the Xanax thing is that it's just like, I mean, that shit just fucks you up if you oh, yeah. take enough of it. It'll I mean, knock it you the fuck out. It doesn't even have to be very much. And uh, yeah, so it's um, those benzos are, you know, definitely. I mean, I've seen people use them safely for sure. Yeah. But it's just uh, it's the it's the dangerous part. I've also seen some Xanax pill heads that were just like we call them zan campers mm-hmm. um but, but they uh they were just fried man 
Yeah. Like just truly, truly fried. And I had no intention of being like that. No offense to anyone that takes Xanax because it's, you know, you do you, man, but it's just, that's not for me. You got to be so responsible and careful with it. You know, mm-hmm. um, I had a lot of, so like, for me, the reason I take it is because of anxiety, obviously. Right. Um, but like, it took me a long time to find a doctor that would even consider prescribing it. Um, I, I don't doctor yeah. shop or anything like that. No. Um, but like, it, it is an important medication for me personally, just to have available mm-hmm. if I need it. Lately, I've gone yeah. down oh, yeah. on a lot of my medications. So like uh, like yourself, I take Vralar. I was taking three milligrams. Ooh, I recently nice. went down to 1.5. Uh, recently, um, it's actually, so for me, it's, it's working well. Um, I feel less dark. So I have bipolar type one. So historically, right. I had been on pretty heavy doses of medications. And then about um, like six months ago at this point, I started working with my doctor to begin reducing those meds because I wanted to kind of feel more like my old self, kind of um, feel a bit clearer headed, get away from some of the side effects that I was having and stuff. Um, So yeah, I take 1.5 milligrams of Vralar right now. I've found that Vralar as an antipsychotic medication has worked better than anything right. else I've tried. Just for me personally, again, for the audience, yeah, we're not doctors. Yeah, me too. Um, right, exactly. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Mine yeah. as well. Um, Raylar, I mean, I when I was 18 to 22, I was, that was my, that was the, were the years I was actively searching for medication uh, that worked. And, you know, I had a doctor that may or may not have been kind of like, bribed by the pharmaceutical companies just to prescribe anything and everything because i i think i took probably i think i counted one time halfway through the thing i was at 45 different medications so i would probably estimate about 65 different medications for just and that's that's drug that's substances really 65 different substances that had been in my body at that point and you know that's just that's just unfair to put someone through and you know it was but at 23 um i had i got a different doctor and he had um he had a chart list or a sort of a chart that i would track every day how i felt and he would take it at the end of the week and i would you know see what happens and you know and by the end of it it was it was braylar that was working mm. and i um i just for a long time i was just on braylar um, okay then we added, we, I had been off the Adderall for a few years and we added that back in and that as kind of, you know, I definitely have ADHD, but, and it helps with that for sure. But it also kind of acted for me as a little bit of an antidepressant Yeah. just because of the fact that I felt like I could do things on it. I could, I could, my brain worked again. My, you know, my thought process wasn't so jumbled. I like to describe it as if my, if all of my thoughts were in a cloud off Adderall, like they're just jumbled up around the cloud then Adderall takes them and puts them on a list. So I can mm-hmm. just kind of look at them one by one rather than in random order. Yeah. Um, Adderall yeah. has been helpful for me too. Um, I, uh, what I, I can't, I don't even fucking, we changed the dose of it recently. I think I'm currently taking 30 milligrams. Um, yeah. Adderall. XR, X, XR. XR. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I started with the instant release stuff about a year and a yeah. half ago. 
Um, and I found that when I first started it, it did cause a little bit of hypomania for about a week. Yeah. That was just my own personal experience with it, but it leveled out quickly. And then eventually we switched over. I, I switched to doctors because my insurance had changed. And uh, right. the new doctor who I worked with, I, I was complaining to him about feeling like really amped up in the morning and then having like that afternoon crash. And that's right. when he recommended extended release XR. Yeah. And I found that's it to be super to helpful, you know, and I take that daily. Um, I, yeah, you know, it, it's like it it's another drug that you got to be careful with, especially if you have addictive Absolutely. tendencies, but when used responsibly, yeah. it can be life-changing in a, like a very good way. Yeah. Um, so I oh, try absolutely. to tell people, you know, like, don't be afraid of medication. If it'll help, you know, talk to your doctors, work with them. Yeah. Yeah. And that took me a long time to get to that point where I was like, all right, well, I'll just, you know, I'll, uh, I'll take the medicine. And I know, I know now that I need to take my Braylar and I, the Adderall is just, it makes such a difference that it's, it's, uh, it's also necessary to take. Um, I'm also on three drugs for sleep. Um, I take a drug called a new drug, apparently, because they don't even have a generic out for it called Remeltion. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. it's apparently what I, all I've been told about is that it hits your melatonin receptors and it works great. I've been able to fall asleep. Um, I also take Visceral at night for just anxiety in general. And then um, I take a drug called Prezosin for um, nightmares. And okay. that one's kind of a funny one because I, I swear I'm still having nightmares, but it's like I'm way less like, desensitized to the, to the shit that's going on. It's like <laughs> something, you know, something bad will happen in the dream. I'm just like, eh, all right. Like, I don't wake up like, from it or something like that. Yeah. This is and, where we are. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you have any advice for people like who maybe are early on, like what you've learned so far with your current sustained sobriety right. for the last month or so, over a month yeah. now? Um, well, I definitely, um, my advice, just and especially to people that are new and in, di in their diagnosis, um, it, I'm not going to say it's necessary to be sober, but it definitely helps. Oh yeah. Um, and, and maybe not, you don't have to be sober for the rest of your life, but to find out what the, what you're like sober and on medication. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it is, if you are using any sort of substance, that's, I mean, there's a reason that they say don't use drugs on those labels because they, they mix and, you know, I, they, you know, it's, it's there, they definitely mix and it's a strange feeling and it, it, it gets you into a place where you're not necessarily safe. I and mean, people, everyone's different. Everyone's brain chemistry is different. You know, you can be able to, you know, there's very people, you obviously can smoke pot and be totally mm -hmm. fine. I can't do that. Uh, so I, and I learned that by getting sober and there's no way that you're going to ever figure that out unless you spend some time sober. So I guess my advice to anybody would just be figure out what you're like sober and if it's doable on the meds. And then if you got if you add some stuff back in, you add cannabis, you think you can drink alcohol. I don't really recommend drinking alcohol to anyone. Yeah, me, me either. <laughs> but, uh, Stay away from booze, but, uh, man. Like that shit is, yeah, that yeah. is the devil. Um, oh yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, and I'd also say, um, 
you know, uh, it sucks sometimes, especially as someone like me with a large distrust for authority. And I, I see doctors as an authority figure over me, at least my doctors kind of as an authority figure over me, because it's like, they're, if they want to mess up my life, they can, you know, totally do that. Yeah. And, and, and I've had it done to me before. And it, you know, it, but I would say you got to trust your doctor, trust that the medicine is going to work. And if it doesn't work, then you got to tell your doctor. Yeah. Because it's, you know, you got it, the one thing that I learned in treatment this time around is how to advocate for myself. You got to advocate for yourself in this world like in, in, in this world in general not just as a person with bipolar in the bipolar world like you have to you have to advocate for yourself make sure that you are being heard and that you are getting what you need and yeah that's about it it's great advice to have and what so what's your future outlook right now um are sustained sobriety reforging those yeah. relationships uh, t- tell me a little more about that yeah, so I sustained sobriety is going to be a thing. Um, I told myself that I'm going to do a year for sure. I'm mean, well, you know, that's that's give or take on that because anything can happen in that time. But I'm working at doing at least a year where I don't do any outside substances. Um, you know, may, you know that might change at some point after the year's up. But um, you know, I I am looking at long term maintained sobriety. Uh, looking at mending the relationships, um, I am moving in about uh, the le- nine days, eight days, something like that. Um, I'm moving to Denver, Colorado, um, and you know that's a, that's a big step. Um, just getting away from my, my trauma happened here, at least the yeah. stabbing incident happened here in Austin. So it's just kind of getting away from that, um, and also you know like like we talked about earlier, Austin's becoming a little crazy. So it's just, it's just kind of getting out and not to, I mean, I'm sure Denver has its issues as well, but it's like, it, I, I know that the issues are in Austin, whereas in Denver, I don't, and yeah. I, I can, I'll, I'll deal with that when it comes to it, if there's something bad, but you know, it's out, outlook for the future is definitely bright. I think that things are going well. Um, and, uh, I think they will continue to go well. Nice, man. All right. Well, we're coming right up on that one hour mark. Is there anything else you wanted to share for the show, for the audience uh, that we didn't talk about? Um, Well, I mean, follow me on Twitter. It's Andrew Edwards zero. Um, I am a journalist. I do. I mean, I've I've been kind of sedated the past year or so, so I haven't done enough of my work on it. Um, But I um, am working on a couple of things just um i have a poem that i wrote when i was in treatment that's kind of a freeform poem that i'm nice. looking at getting um published as well as I'm, I'm kind of tweaking it up the final final copies of it um and then i've got and that'll be probably published on um my twitter or at least i'll, I'll post something on it on my twitter um that's really the only social media that i use um and uh yeah that's about it Nice. Well, I'll definitely be sure to put those uh, social media links in, in the episode yeah. description so people can find you. Um, thank you so much for joining me today for this. I, th- yeah, I think this was great. I always like talking to people about um, sober living and harm reduction too. And I, I think your perspective right. on it is like very fresh 
and very like in the moment and it's cool to talk to you from that perspective with that angle so thanks for coming on and sharing your wisdom dude hey thanks for having me it was a great time Thanks for listening to this episode. I think that Andrew had a lot of interesting perspective to share, especially when it came to healing family relationships and his negative experiences with marijuana use over the years. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information about the EMDR therapy discussed during this episode. Andrew is a writer and he is on Twitter at AndrewEdwardsZero. My name is Hunter Keegan. I'm on Twitter at HHKeegan. Of course, Bipolar Recorder can be found on Twitter at Bipolar Recorder. And remember that we do have merch available now on Patreon. Visit us on Twitter or at BipolarRecorder.com for more details about how you can support the show and even get some awesome merch. As always, thank you for joining me. Have a safe day, evening, or night, wherever you are. Bipolar Recorder is a listener-supported show. To help keep the show running, consider checking out our Patreon page or visiting BipolarRecorder.com. Unless otherwise stated, the hosts and guests on Bipolar Recorder are not licensed mental health professionals. Bipolar Recorder is not a substitute for therapy or professional medical intervention. If you are having a mental health crisis, please contact your local emergency services.